Hi guys, and welcome to another edition of the Fight Out Boxing Podcast, which I may also call the Crafty Boxing Show. I'm Lukash, as ever, and um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about this weekend. Obviously, going to be leading with Golovkin versus uh, Morata, and um, you know, talk about the performance, talk about where where that leaves Golovkin because he's supposed to fight Canelo in uh, in autumn. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the rest of the card because. Uh, there was Hunter Nakatani fought, and uh, I'm going to talk about him because he's cool. And then I want to talk about the crack on crack and fight on the undercard, just a little bit, like just a little bit. Then I'm going to talk about Sebastian Fendora versus Erickson Lubin. And uh, if you haven't seen that fight, go watch it. It's fantastic, fantastic, brutal little war. I say little. Sebastian Fendora six foot five. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about Ryan Garcia at the end. Um, not so much because that fight wasn't interesting, but um, but I'll talk about it a little bit. But I'm going to open up with, uh, you know, I'm going to open up with the main man, Golovkin, and um, my concerns, because he won, and it was a good win, and if I was talking about it just in the context of a four-year-old man fighting for a world title, it would be fantastic, you know, he's he's doing great, he's a, um, he's beaten a, you know, Murata wasn't young, I'll get into that uh, in a second, um, you know, Murata wasn't young himself, but he's a younger, fresher, He's holding. He's holding a belt as well. Um, he's a unification at forty years old. It's a. It's a fantastic thing for a forty-year-old bloke to be doing. But in the context of. This was essentially a sort of half eliminator. Well, it was essentially an eliminator. They signed a deal where Golovkin beats um, Murata and Canelo beats Bivol. They're going to fight again in autumn. And uh, in that context, you know, with that in place, you have to think of. You have to be watching it. Not, I mean, I have to, but you you kind of should watch the fight with an air of is Golovkin a pound for pound fighter? Is he going to take on, you know, probably the best fighter in the world? And I have my issues. And you can see that. I mean, if you watch the fight, you can see the issues straight away. Um, which is that, uh, you know, Murata, the thing about Murata, um, I don't want to say he's not that good because that would be a disservice. You know, he's he's a world champion, and although he's you know. He's a little bit paper, but he's not. He's a world level fighter to some, you know. He's not made up. He's not, you know, one of these guys who's just sort of made up a belt, you know, being sort of given gifted one. He's kind of coasted along on the outside of that division, but um, but he's got his talents. But the thing with, with his talents is that what they are is um, when he's in the pocket, um, he's good at throwing combinations and exchanging, um, and that's really. I think he's by far the best at, and he's a lot more. Even there, he's not that good at defending him, and he's not that good at approaching. He can chase, you know, he's not too bad at pressure, but he tends to chase rather than cut. You know, all of that stuff that uh, essentially means that um, he's trying to fight the same sort of fight that Golovkin is, but he's worse at everything than Golovkin. Um, you know, and at the exchanging, he can sort of live with Golovkin in exchanges for a little bit. You know, this was my take coming in. You know, he he can sort of live with it. You know, actually throwing punches. He's not on Golovkin's level, but he's, you know, not that many fighters that Golovkin has fought will be as good as Miranda at throwing punches at him in the pocket. Quite a lot will be better at evading them, and uh, loads and loads will be, will be. You know, not loads and loads. Golovkin's resume isn't that good. Blasphemy, blasphemy. But um, plenty, you know, basically everything Morata does to get close, Golovkin should have been able to exploit. And, um, 
in the first couple of rounds, in the, well, you know, the first four rounds, but especially in the, as the, as it went on, it got a little, it got a little bit easier. But in the first few rounds, especially in the first two rounds, Golovkin landed the jab basically whenever he wanted to, and you know, he fought was he, he was fighting on the back foot a little bit then, not pushing around it back. But that's fine. That is a sort of post Canelo thing. Um, you know, since he left, he's left Sanchez. He's been a lot more willing to do that anyway. So that that isn't necessarily a concern about his physicality. That's just where he is in his career right now. And it's you know that I think is one thing which he needed to do anyway because of his age. Like that was a good adjustment to his aging. But um, but the thing that was happening was he was landing the jab, doing you know like I say whenever he wanted almost every jab he threw was landing through the first two rounds, snapping around his head back was solid jab. And then nothing. And like in Golovkin's prime, and this is why I'm, you know, concerned about Canelo. Like even when he fought Canelo, which is probably post his physical prime, but um, you know, especially when he was fighting guys of sort of Morata level um, before, you know, before Canelo, all these um, Matthew Macklin's and uh, Martin Murray's, all of that sort of opponent. You know, even though he got rid of Morata quicker than Murray. What was happening in those fights was Golovkin was land his jab, and I mean he was pushing them back more than anyway. But he would land his jab, and then the follow-up shot, follow shots would come straight away. Like the jab would cause a reaction, then they'd sort of come back into position, and they'd be met with a follow-up shot straight away. And here he was pretty clearly baiting Murata. You know, his country, his his bad jabbing with Murata, and then sort of wanting Murata to come at him so he could counter him a little bit more. But even when he was on the front foot, this was happening. He was throwing the jab, and then. There's too long of a pause between his jab and the rest of his work, and Morata was coming in and working him, and and he was being physically, you know, it's not somewhat. I mean, I say overwhelmed. That that would, that's too strong, but um, you could see, especially the body shots were clearly affecting him, and obviously everyone is affected by body shots. But um, but back in his hay, he could avoid. You know, he would have been avoiding those shots, most of them. Um, he would have been blocking more of them. Because, you know, there is such thing as body shot defense and it just wasn't really in evidence here. And I mean, he was working the counters and he was breaking Murata down. And there is some level of truth to the idea that Murata broke down faster than he would have done because Golovkin was taking the chance to counter him. And, you know, that Murata was never going to, necessarily going to win fighting that fight. Um, I think that last statement is a bit of a misnomer uh, in that. Morata was never going to win fighting that fight. And I think there is an element here where, you know, people talk about, oh, it's a great achievement for Golovkin at his age. But um, Morata's 36 himself, and he hadn't fought in a lot longer than Golovkin. Like, coming in, Golovkin hadn't fought, I think, in 16 months, something like that. Um, but Morata hadn't fought in, uh, I think it was 21 months, possibly even longer than that. I've, you know, I've lost track already. But... Um, but he was in that stage, you know, um, and I don't know if this, like, I can't be 100% sure about this because, you know, I'm not on Murata's head or his training camp, but um, it's reasonably common. It's not, you know, it's not every time, but reasonably common. When a fighter ages out, the first sort of effect isn't necessarily a thing of, oh, they're too old, they can't do the sport anymore. It's not necessarily just boxing, but um, Manny Pacquiao's got a good example of this. Like, there is an initial, you know, there's, there's a Big, you know, the level drops permanently, but there's an initial reaction where they haven't quite worked out what they need to do to keep fighting at a high level or, you know, whatever they're doing, um, with their slowing down. You know, they've spent the whole prime, they've spent like 10 years 
15 years, sometimes um, even longer, um, doing things in a certain way that use their athleticism. Sometimes rely on their athleticism, but you know, use the athleticism that they have, and they start to lose it, and they don't know how to react. And I think that may have been, you know, and then then they come through and figure out, um, figure a few things out, um, and start to adjust. And I think that Murata, like my suspicion is that Murata, and this should have been caught in camp, and I don't know why it wasn't, but I, my suspicion is that Murata thought that he had more stamina than he did, and that he got himself in trouble by pushing a pace that, like, I don't know that he expected to be able to push over 12 rounds. I think he expected Golovkin to fade faster and that he would be able to outlast Golovkin. And then I think, you know, after three or four rounds, it became pretty clear that even though he was clearly tiring Golovkin with the bodywork and all of that, just Morata couldn't sustain the pace he was pushing. And like, I just, you know, I can't say for sure, but I think there was an element of Morata picking a game plan that relied on him being younger and fresher than he was. So essentially what I'm saying is that while Golovkin clearly had an effect, on him, I don't think it was just, you know, I don't think you can plan for that Golovkin to be able to do that to, you know, if for um, Munguia, for example, um, that, I think Munguia would be able to pull off a pretty similar game plan um, that Murata did. He wouldn't go as crazy with it anyway, um, and he has slightly better head movement. But, um, but I think he'd be able to pull, off, pull, pull that off much more consistently over a longer time, and I don't know if Golovkin would be able to handle that. Um, I don't know if that fight's ever going to happen, because if Golovkin moves up to fight Canelo to some catch rate or something, I don't know, they'll never come back down, but we'll see. Um, anyway, so that's my, my, my basic, you know, that's my first concern, is that, um, you know, a lot of people were sort of, and they were rightly giving credit to Golovkin for doing the right things that he needed to do to slow Murata down, but but Murata, you know, for all his ability, he is a fighter that Golovkin in the past would have been dealing with very handily. And, uh, yeah, and he basically just really, he really struggled to connect, especially early on, before Murata's no doubt, he really struggled to connect the two parts of his game. And that's like kind of why I'm sort of um, talking about this, the fading, because, um, you know, once Murata did slow down, um, Golovkin didn't slow down quite as much, and he was able to connect the... Uh, the jab to the rest of his game. For a while, he dropped the jab, and that was a good that was a good adjustment. And Golovkin's a very intelligent fighter, and um, there was a certain amount of um, people on Twitter were wondering. Um, some of them probably followed, possibly following me. So uh, people were wondering um, why was why did Golovkin stop jabbing? Sort of around three and four, he he wasn't jabbing as much. Like he was doing it whenever he did, he landed, but he wasn't jabbing as much as he normally does, and. Um, and I think some people were worried that he was just completely losing his shit, basically, like um, that he was really tired, which obviously proved only partially true. I think that he was... I think that was an adjustment. I think that was him going, I can't throw the jab and then follow up in time, so I'm just going to follow up. I'm just going to do the bit afterwards and catch Murata with the hard shots instead of, you know, big off his jab, but nothing after it. I'm just going to concentrate on on the intercepting shots. And he was still taking damage. This was a problem. He was still taking damage while he was throwing them because he wasn't able to keep Murata off. 
that those shots were doing more, you know, and I'm kind of um, rubbishing my own <laughs> theory here, no, those shots are doing more to slow down Morata, and they were making work harder as well, like, you know, when your opponent is a... Yeah, basically, Golovkin's throwing the jab, and Morata would come in and have, like, four, four or five shots without an answer, because Golovkin wasn't ready to throw. And then when Golovkin stopped jabbing, it was sort of punch or punch. Um, it was full exchange rather than Morata having those three shots. It's... Yeah, um, and then you know, then there isn't that much to say like tactically about this fight because because uh, then Morata just started to get really fucking tired. It was just so obvious that um, that Golovkin started to take over and do what he's done in the past, and uh, you know, then he started pushing him back, and uh, it was you know, I think this was why people liked it. That's why I liked it. It was a sort of vintage Golovkin that we haven't seen for a while because. Uh, because he has taken on this more boxer boxer persona, small boxer move and jab, and uh, only persecuting spots, um, persecute. What the fuck am I saying? Only pursue in spots. Only be really aggressive in spots. And he needs to do that. Like that's uh He's forty. He can't be the guy he was. Um, and he's made the right adjustments. Um, that he needs to, and like I say, this is a good win. This on on the context in the context of purely itself, this is an incredible win for a forty-year-old man. But but in the context of both the division as it stands, um, and the potential contender fight, the performance was concerning. You know, no matter that. You know, the thing is, I'm, I don't want to talk. I, I want to talk some about the good things Golovkin does before. You know, I say before and after in the middle of me voicing my concerns. So you know. All of the good stuff was there. All of the um, Golovkin's combinations are so clever. Like um, he's so good at disguising the arc of his punches, at bringing you know, bringing like an arc around, bringing his punches um, up and you know down and on, then over, like um, up and under, like hooking around his guard, his opponent's guard. And Murata's guard was basically ineffective. Like it was, he might as well not have been guarding because because uh, um, Golovkin was just hooking around it. He was going straight up the middle, like with everything. That was why the jab was landing because Murata's guard is just pointless. It doesn't do anything. And, you know that is an exaggeration, but not very much of one. I think Murata would possibly have been better off with just fighting with his hands down. Um, you know, jab when he's jabbing, but then just unloading on the body and not concerning too much with what you know. He does have some concern because then Golovkin. You know, it was doing something. It was making Golovkin not have a completely free shot. It wasn't stopping the shots landing, though. That's the problem. Um, and Golovkin is, yeah, he's still in terms of his punch selection picking, is the size of like, the size of his arsenal, how much he's got to choose from. He's still there aren't not many fighters at the like, like this last generation that can match him for that. And you saw all of that on display. Like, um, you know, Morata's defense isn't very good, but. Um, but it is better than Golovkin made it look once he got going. Um, so all of that was, you know, it was good to see. Like I say, he's faded, he's not disappeared. Um, and I think he would, you know, I, th- I think out of the, all the fights um, that are on the table for him, that I'll say on the table, all the fights that are available, because the only one on the table now is Canelo, if Canelo beats Bivol, um, because that's the deal they've made. Um, of all the fights that could potentially happen, I think the one I'd most like is with Munguia because um, because even though I don't think he'd win, I think that's the one that's most interesting, and he has a chance of winning. Um, 
I mean, Boo Boo and Drive's moving up now, right? So that's not relevant. Um, who else have we got? Well, we've got. Um, I'm going to get this name a little bit wrong, but Shanibek Alem Kanuli. Um, I think he'd score Golovkin at this point. He's another Kazakh fighter. He's sort of tw he's 29 and he's sort of stepping in. He's kind of stepping into that role of the um, Kazakh destroyer in the division, almost. Um, he's, a, he's got a different personality and he's got a very different fighting style. Um, but uh, he's just far too fast for Golovkin at this stage. Um, far too fast, far too clean. He's um, far too good defensively. He's just not going to get caught. Um, by the speed Golovkin was showing here, he, he's not going to catch Janabek. It's, it's not going. It's not there for him. Um, the uh, yeah, um, the Canelo fight. Like, I just, I, I don't want to see it happen. Like I would love Golovkin to get his revenge, and I would love it. You know, if it happens, and I think it will, because I don't think Bivol's got too much for Golovkin um, for Canelo. Um, I would love Canelo to prove me wrong. You know, I'd love it if he beat him. I'd love it. But uh, I just don't, I can't see what he's going to do. Like everything that Murata did wrong, Canelo is going to do right. And yeah, he's not going to push the pace as strongly straight away. But um, just you could see the reflexes were dim. But the gap between the jab and the follow-ups, Canelo um, Golovkin isn't going to get away with just dropping the jab to get the follow-ups in. He's not. That's not going to work. And. Uh, if he does rely just on the jab, um, you know, if Murata is getting past the jab, Canelo is the best fighter in the world at getting at working with an opponent's jab. If your jab isn't, you know, I mean, Golovkin still has a great jab, but like, um, he fought um, Billy Joe Saunders, he fought um, Kovalev, and both of them, you know, you can talk about how Kovalev was faded and Billy Joe Saunders was never that good, but they both have superb jabs, and they were both not able to get anything going. Will keep behind the jab. You can't fight with Golovkin. You can't fight Canelo with just a jab, and you can't fight Canelo if your jab isn't fully connected to the rest of your game. It's just it's it's, it's not there for him. And because I saw that gap between the jab and the rest, um, I don't think he has anything for Canelo at this at this stage. And I don't think he has the endurance like um, Morata was hurting. You know, we can talk about he lasted through and he recovered and all of that. I don't think he's got it for Canelo at this stage, and I don't really want to see the fight. Like, um, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say he shouldn't take it because he wants a chance. He wants to prove himself, um, you know, once and for all. And um, you know, he wants a payday, apart from anything else. But I think we're just going to see a sad event of Golovkin just being too old. Like, and I have seen people, um, Scott Christoph, Bad Left Hook, um, has been consistently sort of saying, you know, um, Golovkin is Canelo's toughest style matchup, and that's true. And so, even younger, fresher fighters, then Golovkin aren't necessarily going to offer him as much of a stylistic challenge, and that that will remain true even with this gap between the, you know, this problem with the jab. Um, but when you combine that issue with the stamina and the slowness, it's it's just not there. I'm sorry, it's not it's not. Um, yeah, I just don't want to see it. So. It's a weird situation where I came out of a fight of one of my sort of favourite fighters of the last, you know, 10 years. And the, anyway, the last 10 years, you know, I've always been a fan of boxing, but um, the last 10 years is sort of when I got into this stage of talking about fights, thinking about fights, really, you know, 
that led me to do be doing this bloody podcast. Um, so Golovkin, and Golovkin was a key part of that. So Golovkin is really, you know, you could pretty much attribute um, a solid percentage of the reason why you're listening to this at all to Golovkin fighting when he did. Um, like following Golovkin, basically what happened is I was sort of casually getting into it, and a guy I knew back um, like on a different forum back in the day um, recommended me watch Gregorz Proxar because I'm Polish, and I was like, this guy's pretty good. And so um, I watched a couple of his old fights, and I was like, he's fighting this Kazakh opponent, um, and he's also pretty good, um, Gennady Golovkin. And, you know, Proxar got absolutely destroyed. Um, so I started following, you know, following Golovkin through from there, and and that got me into following, you know, getting online, talking about it. Um, so that's where, you know, so so I'm a huge fan of Golovkin. It's the context I'm trying to say here, and it's just I just feel, you know, I've seen what I've seen him win a fight, and I'm just sad. I've seen him win a great fight and performance, and I'm just a little bit sad about it. And I shouldn't be. I should be like, yes, fantastic. Golovkin is 40, and he hasn't fought anyone really great for um, since Canelo. You know, we were going to have Ines Morata's also not great, but um, but this is about the best win he's had since then. Like, I mean, Derevchenko is probably a better opponent, but um, but Golovkin struggled a little bit more there. Um, you know throughout the fight like it wasn't as it wasn't as as faded he didn't have the problem the same degree of problem that he did early on here but he also didn't come back and dominate so so in that sense this is a this was a really good win for a guy of his age and yeah i have to give him his props for that that it was but um but it was also yeah it was what it was um because of the context around it, I can't be, you know, I can't be too happy about it. And maybe once the, um, once it's all settled down, settled down, and the dust is setting on his career, I'll be able to look at this fight the way it really deserves on its own. But, um, but right now, I'm just a little bit sad about it. Um, yeah. So the second guy, I'm just going to move on now. Um, the second guy, and this is going to be a much more positive section. Um, and let's be fair. The rest of this podcast is going to be pretty positive. Um, so. Uh, Happy joy. Um, Hunter Nakatani was fighting Ryota Yamauchi, um, who's a sort of. Uh, it was slightly difficult for me to um, contextualize this because Ryamochi, he was, uh, you know, he's a nine fight. Um, so nine fights, he's 27. Um, but basically, being all domestic, he'd fought one guy who isn't Japanese, I think, or he'd fought more guys who aren't Japanese, but um, all of his fights, apart from one, have been in China. And that one fight he lost, um, but he'd been in, he'd have been improving in the time since. Um, it was just difficult to contextualize exactly how good he was. You know, I knew he wasn't going to be enough for Nakatani. It's just a little hard to say how good this one is because I'm not entirely sure how good uh, how good Yamuchi is. Um, you know, he came in. Um, He's you know he's a he's clearly a dangerous puncher. He has a decent um, you know he's got eight wins and seven KOs from that. He's um, he's got that and he's a, you know he had some decent counter punches and he did some after an initial three rounds. Um, basically, let, let me roll back, start again. Hunter Nakatani was so far out of Yamauchi's league. Um, so this fight is you know if you haven't seen it, go see it because you'll get to see Nakatani's style, especially you know in the first three rounds and then at the right at the end he sort of. Took a back seat in the middle. Um, I suspect it may have been because he wasn't sure 
you know, he didn't want to take too many risks if he couldn't get Yamaguchi out of this straight away, and he sort of wanted to tire him out before pressing on the gas. It might just have been to get the rounds in because he's been out for a while, um, and he does keep finishing his opponents. Not well, not he doesn't keep finishing his opponents pretty quickly, but um, but uh, his last um, his last fight against Acosta got stopped in four because of um, well. Acosta, uh, Acosta's nose exploded basically. He did that here too, and this one of the one things I wanted to mention is that Nakatani's punching is so accurate. It's insane. It's, um, there's a photo of, uh, of Yamuchi after the fight, and, uh, you can contrast it to, it's a fight I'm going to talk about later on, but Ericsson Lubin, there's a photos of him going around after he fought, uh, for, um, Sebastian Fundora, and his face was a mess all over, like, Everywhere was puffy and uh, looked like he'd been in a fight with a honey badger. Um, whereas uh, Yamuchi's face was basically really, really red around the eyes and his nose was smashed. And he'd been, been eating a steady diet of uppercuts, but they don't, you know, they were catching him clean on the chin, basically. Nakatani's so accurate, like everything he threw at the eyes landed on the eyes. Everything he threw at the nose landed on the nose. And I mean, some of that is because, um, because Yamuchi's pretty hittable and not you know, not at all evasive, but he did it to Acosta, he did it to Mugrama. And yeah, there will be, you know, he. I don't think he'll do that to Sonny Edwards to the same extent. I think he will do it to Martinez because Martinez doesn't really defend, um, you know, if he, fight, if he gets those fights. Um, but it was just so, like, that everything landed it, like, inch perfect where he wanted it to. He's so accurate and his timing is so good. And I've talked about it before. His lead hand, him, you know, he jabbed this, but he's a, he's a tough boy, so his lead hand is right. Um, you know, it's a good jab, but he jabs with it, he hooks off it, he sort of obstructs the timing with it. And this is what he's brilliant at. Like, um, the commentators kept talking about, um, um, I, I was listening to this in German commentary, so I don't know what you lot heard, um, because I live in Germany, I've got his own. German commentary. Um, yeah, the, the German commentators kept talking about this big left hand, big left hand coming. And a lot of sort of the commentary on Twitter was like that as well, you know, the big left hand. And that's fair, the, the, the big right, yeah, the big left hand. Um, that's fair, it's very good. Um, that's what he was looking for, but he was, um, you really can tell that Lakatani is apparently um, a right handed fighter who chose to fight Southport because he's so dexterous with it, he's so good with it, and the left hand is just sort of, I say just. It's an incredible finisher, um, but it is sort of the the dessert course where sort of the main work is going on with the lead hand, really to more of an extent than any other fighter. And because he's so long for the division, he's five foot seven, so he's not like really really tall, but he is tall for the division. Um, and he's got a big long reach, and it's just so hard for fighters to get past him. And you know, Yamauchi was getting the full course. He was getting the uppercuts and hooks and the body shots and like, just everything, basically. And the thing about Nakatani is he can also defend on the inside. He can defend on the outside. He can defend on the inside. His his movement's really good. Like, he's got this really wide base, but nonetheless, um, it's pretty hard to turn him. Like, um, we'll see better fighters than uh, Yamauchi try. Um, I was a bit... I, I suspect I was a bit unfair to Yamauchi calling him. Like, um, on Twitter, I said, um, this is, you know, a guy who's... Um, skilled enough to be power for power. Like, he hasn't got the resume for it yet, but I think Nakatani's as skilled as uh, definitely sort of the lower parts of the power for power list. I think he's up there. You know, he's going to be up there with anyone. But, um, you know, right now, I'd say, you know, he's skilled enough to be bottom part of the power for power. He hasn't got the resume. And I said it's up against basically someone who's basically a small wall fighter, small, you know, from an American context, a club fighter. That's probably unfair. Like, um, and um, I saw Asian Boxing comment, uh, no, this is a good fighter. He's doing it too. Um, 
So I would say that is that uh, that Yamauchi is probably sort of if if I was talking to a context I'm familiar with, um, you know, he'd be a, maybe a British level, not, maybe not really high British level. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, scooching across to what I can familiarise with because I'm you know I'm thinking of when I've seen these really good fighters fight British level guys before. Sometimes it turns out to be Josh Taylor versus Chad Cattrall and uh, they get smashed, but um, well smashed they get out boxed, but usually it's pretty one-sided, you know, it's a sort of a Sergio Garcia versus um, Ted Cheeseman sort of level, and then imagine that Ted Cheeseman was um, fighting, you know, Sergio Garcia just lost, um, just lost that, um, oh, damn, <laughs> I, I know who he lost to, because it was like a, it was this weekend, I'm going to talk about it very briefly in a second, um, it was, um, I've got it open. Show me, there's too many fighters called Garcia fighting this weekend, including Sergio. <laughs> oh man, give me a second. This is embarrassing. I'm going to leave it in there. Sergio Garcia was fighting um, Tony Harrison, who's, you know, he's fine. And he got completely outboxed, and yet he totally outboxed Ted Cheeseman. So imagine if uh, Ted Cheeseman had been fighting. Super middleweight. Um, there's no real. Yeah, let's just say he'd be fighting Gennady Golovkin. That was the kind of level that uh, we were seeing here. You know, he's not a bad fighter, Yamuchi, but um, he didn't belong with. Uh, that was far too long on the side to make the point that that Yamuchi was is a decent fighter who just didn't belong at this level. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, Nakatani. If you haven't seen him fight, go watch his fight. Go watch this fight. Go watch the fight with um, Angel Acosta, which was disappointingly short. But you will see another example of his accuracy because what happened in that fight was. Um, he hit him on the nose early on, and his nose basically exploded and uh, started bleeding everywhere. And the ref basically eventually with the opinion that um, if that much blood is running down his face, you know, where's the rest of it going? And uh, there may have been some relevant of this here, to be honest, because um, pretty much the same thing happened. He punched, uh, he jabbed um, Yamochi early on, and his nose was basically... <laughs> basically vanished <laughs> except there was no real blood coming from it and you know at the time was, you know, when you're watching the fight you're kind of like okay it's not bleeding it's not too bad but when the nose is that badly smeared all over the face the blood has to be going somewhere and um, I think you look at the corner you, you did see in the corner they were doing a lot of work around his eyes and sort of around the bridge of his nose and and I strongly suspect that that blood was sort of leaking into the back of his throat and making him breathing hard and I don't know if uh if it's possible for the blood to have been going under his eyes at all, but, um, I mean, he was pretty badly marked up anyway. Um, yeah, it was, a. Uh, I mean, the blood was, yeah, whatever. It was, a, it was, an, it was incredible, incredibly accurate. And yeah, watch his other fight with, um, watch Nakatani's other fight with, give me a second, because I'm so boring. I, I wasn't actually prepared. I had the sofa and I closed it to look for the other thing. Um, yeah, learn watch his fight with um, Agrano. Um, basically, the three fights he has, he's had for the belt is this one, Acosta, and then Agrano where he won it. Um, and I really want to see him fight Unification soon because he's far too good for this. So either he needs um, the Unification in the division. He's a flyweight. I should point this out. Really. He's a flyweight, so the guys he should be fighting are. Hulé Cesar Martinez or Sonny Edwards. Not really, those are the only guys that's really worth, you know, I say not worth him. Those are the fights that would test him. Um, you know, I don't think, um, I mean, Delacan is the other, the other champion in the division. I don't think he's much of a test for, um, 
Fanakatani, he's also Ukrainian, so um, who knows where his career is um, right now. Uh, you know, then you've got Makunov Zoroya, Mithilane maybe trying to come back. You know, all of these guys, Mohamed Wasim, who just lost to Sonny Edwards. I don't think they're much of a contest for Nakatani. Uh, the other option is for him to move up to Superfly, because he's a big old superflyweight. Uh, he's a big old flyweight. He'd be a big, reasonably big superflyweight, not, you know, enormous, but he'd be bigger the way. Um, and he did, I think he spoke before that... Uh, I've seen sort of conflicting reports because I've seen some reports say that he said that this may well be his last fight of the weight um, and he'll be looking at him move up. And then I've seen other reports suggesting that uh, he wants to unify at least one belt before he moves up. Um, given that Edwards and uh, Martinez are sort of making, well, Sonny Edwards is making big eyes at Martinez and it would make sense for Martinez. It's the biggest money fight for him with the, uh, the storyline there. Um, so, so it would be Delakian, um, which, you know, it's a unification, it's not a legacy making fight. Um, so the other option would be for him to move up and to step into Superfly. Where I think what would happen if he did that would be he'd take one fight to test himself at the weight, and then he'd fight Ioka, because he'd take Ioka, who holds, um, he holds, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the same. Yeah, it's a WBO, and Nakatani does hold the WBO. Yep, that's true. That is, in fact, not me making it up. So because Nakatani holds the WBO, I believe they have that system where if you move up, you sort of slide into the mandatory challenger spot for the division above. Um, so he'd, if, I mean, whoever's holding it, but um, Ioka would be the best for him because that would be a massive fight. Um, like a lot of people are talking about it as a New Year's Eve fight. Um, at the end of the year, and that would be fantastic. And then that would sort of present, put him in the division. I'd love to see him against Bam Rodriguez. You know, assuming he can handle the step up in the weight, which I assume he can. Um, him against Jesse Rodriguez would be uh, fantastic. That could happen either way, to be honest. But, um, but that'd be great. But that's, you know, in the future. Um, the other fight that happened, I'm not going to um, talk about it uh, for, for ages and ages. I'm just going to talk about it very briefly because I can blow my trumpet a little bit here, like I did this on Twitter. I've got the result wrong, so I can't play my, to- my, uh, my trumpet too hard. But basically, uh, Shuichiro Yoshino versus Masayuki Ito. And, you know, I talked in my preview, if you read it, about um, how they were going to match up. Is that uh, Yoshino's got this, he's kind of a wilder style, and he's a bit of a count, he's more, he prefers to be a counterpuncher. Um, he's got these really good combinations to the body and head. Now, he's a really good combination puncher, especially on the back foot. He tends to get a little bit wild on the front foot and swing for the fences, whereas whereas, um, Masayuki Ito, who has been at world level for much longer and um, fought um, fought at world level before, he he lost to Jamal Herring and... um, um, But he beat beat Christopher Diaz. He's held the... um, the WO super feather belt. Um, much more experienced. He's much more technically all round solid, but he does suffer from not really defending. No, neither of them really do. And I said, you know, this is this is I said the first thing I said that I'm proud of is I said this is tailor made for them smacking the shit out of each other. I'm proud just because I hadn't seen you know I hadn't seen any of Yoshina before this and I hadn't seen that much of Ito. Um so it was a good call on not that much data. You know, I did watch some tape. Um and then, you know, and I also said that the Ito's, um, if Ito could force him on the front foot, then he was going to be swinging for the fences and be counterable, and that is what happened. Um, 
ultimately the story of the fight ended up being that uh, Yoshino Yoshino's combinations did more damage than Ito's more careful work and even though Ito had his moments um, I was trying to score it I completely lost track and at one point I sort of tried to add my scores back up in my head like I wasn't writing down I'm very bad about that and I was, I was like I, I had Ito so far on the lead and so I was like that, that cannot be right that, that I can't remember so I can't say comment on what the scoring was but basically by the end of the 11th round Ito was um he kind of got broken down, and um, yeah, there's not. I'm not going to say too much technically about it, apart from you know, um, Ito was it, basically everything, almost everything I said. Ito's jab was a big factor. Um, the thing with Yoshino's jab, it's just one little technique, technical thing to note because I like talking about my technical stuff. I, I said um, during the fight on Twitter and um, on Band of Duck, actually, I said that um, Yoshino wasn't really jabbing, and Ito was. Yoshino was jabbing. He just doesn't think his jab particularly well with the rest of his game. You know, came back to the thing with Golovkin, um, even though this was before. Um, yeah, he has a he has a good jab. It just stands on its own, and he has really good combinations. And if he links those two together, he'll be out of a fighter. He's thirty years old, so he needs to get a move on. Um, but he is, you know, he he can be relevant at lightweight. Um, how you know how completely relevant? I don't know, but um, but Yoshino will be. He's one to watch out. You know, he's one to keep an eye on. He'll he'll be fun, and his combination is his combination punching is fantastic. Like he's 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 a really lovely combination puncher. Um, so and definitely watch the fight. Like this was uh, one of the fights. That, there's two fights in contenders fight of the night. Um, this was one of them. The other one is Fundora versus Lubin. Um, so if you get a chance to watch this fight and if you've got the zone it's there for you but um, it'll be on YouTube or Denimation or whatever um, it's worth watching if you just want to watch the Havoc um, so with that I'm going to move on I'll tell you what I'm going to skip I'm going to skip a little bit because I don't want to finish on a bit of a downer and um, and uh, Ryan Garcia's return you know he's fine but um, yeah, that sounded very fan fan going over. No, he's um, he's he's a good boxer. He has his moments. He has his things. But um, but he was fighting an opponent who just um, didn't really want to. He wasn't really there to do anything, and Garcia just didn't seem to have the means to get to him. Rather like. It wasn't even that he wasn't wasn't getting there because he was calling him fine and like I do have to give him s okay recalibrate restart I do want to give Garcia some credit because um, the big concern for him before uh, with the Campbell fight and all of that stuff um, the Luke Campbell fight um, is he I didn't like his footwork and I did like his footwork a lot more in this one like he does seem to have figured out where he needs to be stepping and how he needs to be stepping and not getting himself caught square and um, and so that was fine and to go was mostly very defensive um, and Garcia was able to close him down pretty much most of the time you know it was he didn't have any trouble there and he didn't have any trouble throwing letting the punches go um, but what he did have trouble with was just um, you know, it wasn't even that they weren't landing. He was landing plenty, but to, because Togo was so defensive, um, he was just taking. You know, he was um, moving with all the shots, and Garcia didn't really have a plan to move him onto something, to use his movement against him, to walk him onto a shot, to have him 
Lean back. He wasn't throwing his time in. He wasn't throwing fair in his. Um, he wasn't really varying what he was throwing. His punch arsenal was very small. It was like jab, jab, big right hand, jab, jab, big right hand. It was a. Yeah, it was a, that was a disappointing part. He's he's very athletic. He's very powerful. Um, he's very fast. And he was just at the moment his game plan relies on that a bit too much. He needs to add more depth because. I mean, the problem was as well, like, he seems to have a game suited for counter-punching. Like, he, he will detonate on guys. There will be guys who come at him and, um, you know, fighters who try to exchange with him will find him finding them, you know, um, and um, and gets that on their ass. Like, he'll be good at that. But in the brief moments that Togo did come at him, yeah, he did sort of step off and uh, um, step forward and... Um, and forced Garcia back, and Garcia just stepped back and reset, and he wasn't really throwing counters. Um, and that was odd. It was really kind of like he couldn't switch between the tracks of being the destroyer that he isn't that good at being, and the counter puncher that he should be that good at being. Um, but he couldn't switch between the two tracks so much, and that was odd. And like I, I won't. I'm not going to flip out and. Um, Worry too much because um because he's young and he's work progress and he's working with Joe Goosen um with a new trainer and he's like I say he's fixed he's fixing his footwork I would say he's completely fixed it but he's been fixing his footwork turns out being a bit more positive than I expected to be he's been working on his work he's been fixing he's been fixing that um and it does take time to recalibrate a game from from the ground up so I won't flip out too much but um. He needs to do more. Like he won comfortably. Like there's nothing really too deep to talk about here because um because it wasn't much of a contest. You know, to go was um he was either duking moving at range or he was coming in holding and either thing at the level he was doing it would be punishable by an elite fighter and Garcia just basically proved that he isn't you know he's a top fighter but he's not elite elite because he wasn't punishing you know when someone's diving in at your waist you need to have like an uppercut ready or something like small preview of what I'm going to talk about next Sebastian Fedora would have had a guy like to go on skates now obviously he would have had to go himself on skates because he's about three times the size but um but yeah a guy coming in at Sebastian Fedora the way that uh Tago was coming in at uh, Ryan Garcia would have been he would have been on skates he would have been on on his ass he'd have been knocked out and I think that's I think that's why this is I mean that's a disappointing like I knew where what Garcia you know I knew Garcia's limitations and he probably has less limitations than he did before so he's on the right track uh, it just kind of leaves a flat taste because of I mean the zone were being silly and I suspect they're being silly on the on the behalf of Golden Boy, who really need Garcia to pop, but, um, but you know they were giving him the big one about this being his return, and uh, he hasn't been out been out that long, but um, I mean, it's been about a year, but um, but they were giving up this big one about the return, the right turn, and all of that stuff, and he's the big guy, and uh, you know I fear they're going to be disappointed. I fear there are going to be other um, other fighters who have that. Uh, who are going to beat him to that? You know, they're, they're clearly going for the um, for the Spanish-speaking um, American niche, and uh, you know, he's 
he might well fill it in terms of you know he he has a crowd already like he has a fandom and it's a fandom he cuts through outside of boxing which uh, annoys the head out of many boxing fans for some reason um, that he has this fandom of teenage girls and like this huge Instagram following and he's clearly a good looking lad and um, and that's going to get him you know certain he's going to get him opportunities but um, whether he makes the most of them he has to work fast he has to work fast and hard um, to to be ready for them and he's being pushed into the business this is why I'm concerned because he's been pushed into the business to be in those opportunities and he himself said he's not ready for them yet he needs at least one more fight with them Goosen before he's ready to fight for low world level fighters and I'll give him that like he's world level fighter already like he beat Luke Campbell so so he's there but um, but he needs one more fight with Joe Goosen before he's really ready and that give him credit that's the self-awareness that he needs it is going to make him sound you know sound like he's sort of ducking a bit because he's been giving all the big mouth and uh, and all of that in the build-up but it's good self-awareness in the aftermath of a fight where he didn't perform like he probably would have needed to do so that's fine but um but yeah anyway I'm not going to talk about too much because it just wasn't that interesting a fight but because he's such a big name now I need you to talk about it the other best fight of the evening, um, other than the um, the one on the Golovkin card, was was um, Eriksson Lubin versus Sebastian Fedora. And I mean, this one needs a little bit of context just to appreciate the um, extra bit of uh, what was happening in there. Um, is that Eriksson Lubin is. Um, he's a very gifted fighter. Um, he's um, he was sort of um, very. He I think he's twenty four now. Possibly no, he's twenty six now. Um, and he was sort of a few years ago, um, kind of rushed. Um, you know, you'd say fast track, but I think it, I mean it was it proved way too fast. Um, but both of these guys at one five four, just um, the light middleweights, super welterweights, whatever you want to call it. And he was sort of rushed into this fight with um with. Charlo, um, and yeah, he got in with Jamel Charlo, um, obviously the um, the light middleweight, super welterweight one, um, and he got cropped in the first round, like straight away. Basically, he got uppercutted into into oblivion, and since then he's been rebuilding and he's looked very good. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of people are tipping him to win this, um, and he's done well, um, but he has been rocked a couple of times. I think Jason Rosario rocked him. Um, I think even Terrell Gaucher caused a reaction um, in him. So there were already concerns about his chin. And I did talk about this in the preview that I thought that he had this sort of problem where technically he's very clearly a pocket boxer and he's good at it. But he knows he has to protect his chin and so he goes on the back foot. But he's not, he's very limited there. Um, but in any case, um, I'll get into that fully later. He came. He's off, come off a good run. He's recovered very well from um, from that setback, um, which was five years ago now. Um, and yeah, well, Sebastian Fedora has been um, just to borrow from my preview. He started off as a bit of a novelty because he's six foot six and he's fighting at um, 154 pounds. So he's ridiculously skinny and ridiculously tall for the division. And um, and then he sort of started gaining respect for being sort of a proficient. Um, professional boxer but it's a way that he fights that's a surprise because um, I don't think I've ever seen any fighter that looks that fights less like they look like they should be fighting and you know I'm I've been pretty consistent and 
I don't like the uh, stereotype that tall guys have to fight long. Um, you know, jab and move, jab and move. But if there was a guy I was looking at and saying, you know, this guy might be a bit fragile, he probably should be using his unbelievably stupid length um, to to box his way, to, you know, to, to sort of poke his way to victory, it would have been Fandora. He's so, you know, he's so skinny and he he's such a nice guy too, like um, such a aimable chap. Um, and then he gets in the ring and what he is, is this clinch and pocket mauler and he's um he's very tough as well and he's very hard to move which came into the fight here um he's very hard to move about he's not too hard to land on but he's very hard to hurt um Lupin did hurt him and i'll get into that but um he's very hard to hurt because he's so long it causes awkwardness with his opponents because he just gets angles um that others don't have and i talked about this in my preview and i'm going to get start talking about the fight now um that my concern for Lubin was going to be um, that uh, yeah Lubin wants to box on the outside but he's quite limited there and um, so then he ends up coming inside and he's sort of he's trying to find this balance between he's always trying to find this balance between these stretches of boxing on the outside and if you can be winning the fight winning there but then coming inside to do more damage and trying to make that happen before they find the inevitable counter that hurts him and and I thought you know I said um, right you know from the off that um, Lubin isn't going to find it difficult to to be the guy boxing on the outside because Big Ventura is not interested in that he's a come forward aggressive mauler but he is going to find it difficult to win from there because he's not that effective at it anyway like um but because Fandora is so long, Fandora is already fighting in the pocket when Lubin's at long range. It's a, you know that is a huge advantage if that's what you're trying to do, um, and that I think is pretty much what happened. Um, um, so Lubin won the first round, I think. Um, I wouldn't say comfortably, but he pretty definitely won by just sort of poking and moving, poking and moving. But I think even by the end of it, you saw Fandora sort of starting to work him out work out the timing, work out the movement a little bit. Um, and after that, um, he sort of, he broke out the jab. He started pushing Lubin back more um, and he's very hard to step around. Um, and in the second round, he kind of ended up, for, you know, this is when he started forcing the pocket exchanges and he's hittable. Like Garcia isn't, uh, Garcia, Fundora isn't, uh, he, you know, he's no defensive wizard. He's very landable. Um, very findable, but um, but Lubin is more f is fragile, and um, Fandora, you know, again, despite his looks, he's so hard to move about. Like if you exchange in a clinch fight or sort of a shoving pocket match with him, you're going to lose that physical battle. There are not many fighters I would you know um, pick to win like on this sort of evidence to win that exchange of shoving and. You know, to be able to push Fundora out of position, it's just going to be hard, despite you know his his um his length. And he, you know, can be, um again, like I say, you can land on him, um, but he's very hard to hurt. And um, so in the second round, they started. Um, he he managed to force these exchanges, and um, Lubin's corner at the end of the round said, "You know, what do you do that for?" And I think that's a small concern because, you know, maybe I hope they'll look back and analyze it. Um, I think it's a small concern that Lupin's corner didn't realise that he didn't want to be there. Like, um, 
he wasn't choosing to exchange with Fundora. He just didn't really have much option. And um, the reason I think it's a concern is that Lubin has to know already that he isn't that good at rank. Like, they have to know that um, that his options are far more limited for what he's going to do, for what his counters are, for what his responses are to a situation when he's at range. And so if he finds himself really uncomfortable, he is just going to resort to being in close because despite being more vulnerable, because having that vulnerable chin, he just has more things that he can do. And he, you know, technically he's a very good pocket boxer. He's, you know, really good combination puncher. He's really working the body. He's pretty, he's pretty good defensively. Like he's not, not findable, but, um, he was finding it harder against Fedora than he would against anyone else just because Fedora's angles are so crazy. Like, um, you know, Fundora's whipping these hooks around the back of his guard and he's really talking into them. Like, this is the thing with Fundora. Um, he looks kind of comical and rough and around the edges and all of that stuff. Um, and because he's not that defensively sound, people are going to talk about, you know, he's not that fundamentally good. Like, even I was saying in the build up to the fight that, um, that Lubin has a bigger of technical skills. And I am going to counter that and say, no, he has more, he's a little bit more well-rounded, but, um, Fedora's punch selection really impressed me. His ability to talk into punches from really weird angles really impressed me. And I kind of knew he had that already, but I wasn't expecting it to this sort of level. Um, but yeah, his choice of punches, like, um, Lubin's defense was, you know, Lubin's got a good defense and he was just finding it really, really hard to stop anything really landing on him because Fedora was coming from really strange angles. Um, he was really sort of reacting from one thing to, you know, he was react, reacted to Lupin's reaction, so he'd throw a shot, Lupin would react, and Fedora would pick just the right follow up. Um, he was feeding him a steady diet of uppercuts, um, which is a really good punch for a guy that tall. Um, if you can, because it's, you know, you're coming right up through the chin, um, and, you know, the, the end of the punch is sort of way up in the air, and you're really the most powerful punch, punch part of the punch is, uh, is going right into the chin. Um, and that is what he hurt him with at the same end of the second round. Um, he hurt him once with, a, with it, and then he, um, then Lubin didn't go down immediately, but um, but he was clearly hurt and wobbly, and um, and he dropped him right at the end of the round, and then the bell went, which probably did save Lubin in the immediate sense, um, but I don't think he ever fully recovered, and um, like I didn't score this, um, I didn't watch this live anyway because I was watching the MMA, um, I was watching PGM be stupid and lose, but um, but I didn't score this on a rewatch. Um, Lubin had his moments and he was in it and he was up on the cards and um, no, I think no one who was watching it live had a problem with Lubin being up on the cards when the fight was stopped. Um, no, there wasn't. It was one of those fights where all the damage was going, like the actual physical roughness and stuff was going in one direction. But um, but Lubin was doing his work and there were rounds when Lubin was winning. But um, but it was pretty clear that the things that Fundora was doing were hurting, you know, Fundora didn't have to work as hard to hurt Lubin. And that shows in the, in the knockdown the other way. Um, because Lubin did land a shot on, uh, on Fundora in round seven. So, you know, they'd be going back and forth and having this fun little fight of exchanges where Fundora, you know, Lubin was trying to box in the back foot and then sort of giving up and engaging. And he was doing it, like I say, he was doing his work. And then, um, Towards the end of round seven, um, and this sort of, it was a really good punch, but he really, like, you could see that Lubin really put everything into it. Um, 
and he gave Fundora a wobble and then he chased him down and he knocked him down eventually but every shot he landed in that exchange was like he really put everything into it and I think this is a thing to land, to hurt you know to hurt Fundora you really have to smash him and Fundora is he doesn't have to put that much energy into smashing you um, and that I, th- I think that caused Lupin a problem because he put everything he had into putting him down it was almost you know oh, no, no I, I won't make I, I'll make the Avengers comparison, you know, it was that whole, um, all that for a drop of blood. It was a bit more than that because he put him down and, um, and Lubin did have to survive. Like it was close to the end of the round, not right at the end, but he was wobbling and possibly he was lucky um, that it was that close to the end of the round. Um, so it was, you know, it was a significant hurt, but Lubin had to put so much into it. Not even just, it's not even that he punched himself out after it. It was doing it. It was finding that spot that he had to put so much into it that he didn't even have that much left to chase him down with. And then he had the minute to recover, and after that, Fundra was fine. So, you know, that's a, that's a great penny in his, and, you know, that's a great thing in his arsenal. You know, we've seen him hurt now. We've seen how he recovers from being hurt, and apparently it's really well. And he's got this, he throws with volume and power and everything, and being enthusiastic, he's really fun to watch. He's awkward and grimy and he's an inside fighter, you know, despite being really lanky and stuff, he's really good on the inside. Um, and yeah, Lupin eventually um, kind of started falling apart and um, his corner stopped at the end of the ninth. Basically, the remaining two rounds of the fight, like Fundora got hurt at the end of the seventh and the remaining two fight, two rounds were just Fundora kind of um, bullying him, you know. And I think I should say that round... Um, Seven, he had been dominating Lubin until he got knocked down. Like possibly he got a bit overconfident and left himself to open, but it wasn't that, uh, you know, he had already been taken over. So it wasn't, um, you know, I think I, possibly one of the judges, a lot of the people watching, was one of those. It's not very common to score a fight uh, 10-9 when a fighter's been knocked down because it was so dominant in the other direction. It's quite hard to persuade people scoring it to do that. But um, quite a few did, possibly even one of the judges. Um, anyway, so yeah, so after that, round eight and nine, um, yeah, the Lupin came out, he thought, okay, I've hurt him, I'm going to come at him, and pretty much immediately, he uh, he landed one shot on Fundora, and, um, and then Fundora clinched up and started working, and, you know, I like that about him, he works in the clinch, he's a good clinch fighter, um, threw a couple of those uppercuts and then pushed him back, and... This is, you know, this is where he's so good at using a set. This is where the thing I talk about is one of my pet hates of say of talking about, you know, long fighters have to fight long. Fedora is so good at using his weight to bring guys in, and then he's so good when you're on the retreat, you've got nowhere to go because he's got this lovely chasing sort of, um, you know, he, he he follows you with this chasing like it's a sort of a one one two or a one two. Th- one two two, where he would throw the jab. He says southpaw, so um, this was southpaw southpaw matchup, um, and then he's coming with this like long left hand, and but he doesn't have to reach like it's just this lovely. I mean, he's reaching, but he doesn't have to overbalance or anything to to chase a guy that's he's following, um, and it, even though it's like a long sort of distance punch, it's, he's still putting power on it. It's a snappy little punch, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. He's hard to get away from. He's hard to clinch with. Um, He's hard to fight in the pocket with. He'll be, you know, there will be fighters who land on him. He will get hurt again. Um, but he's going to have a. He's going to be very hard to beat at one five four. Um, 
you know, I don't think, like I say, I, I've always said I'm a bit meh on Charlo, and, and I'm still meh on Charlo. Um, so if he ends up fighting Fundora, I think I'll probably end up picking Fundora at this stage. You know, Charlo's probably got power enough to trouble Fundora, but he has his problem um, of his timing isn't very good, and he, you know, I've moaned about this before. Um, Jamel Charlo is basically almost unable to land a scoring punch before his opponent lands on, on him. And he can't do that with Fundora. Firstly, he's giving up too much distance. And secondly, you know, Fundora is so aggressive. And so he's accurate and good at what he does that um, if you let him get started before you do what you're doing, um, he's just going to smother, you know, yeah, he's going to smother you. He's going to take your weapons away from you. He's going to be very hard to stop landing anything back. So Charlo's got to be, you know, if that ends up being the fight, it's going to be careful. Castano will be more fun. Um, yeah. Basically, I want to see Fundora fight at the world level because he's not proven at world level. Like I say, I say this: um, those guys are proven at a certain level that Fundora is not yet proven in. But Lubin is a good fighter, and you know he was in it. But Fundora ended up pretty much, you know, it wasn't a domination of a fight, but it was a destruction. Um, you know, um, the picture of Lubin's face, like I alluded to before, it was a mess, and his corner basically was a mercy stoppage. Um, he couldn't take the punishment anymore. He was breaking down further and further. He was still not, he wasn't hurt, hurt in the sense of wobbling around and all of that, but he was just taking too much damage. Um, you know, even as he was throwing, he was taking too much damage and it was a good corner stoppage. You know, they took care of the guy. He'll be back again. And, you know, he's been in good spirits on, you know, the social media since. Um, and, you know, I like Newman as a fighter, you know, and he seems a decent guy. You know, I'll be glad to see him back, but um, but I am glad to see Fundora win this and be as impressive as he was because that puts him in the frame at one five four, and he'll be he'll be moving up. You know, not not straight away, but you know, there, there's going to come a time when he's um when he's struggling to make weight and he have to move up to to middleweight. Um, he'll be terror there too because um you know Janibek is a much better fighter than him technically and he's a bit faster, but um. But Fedora is going to carry that height advantage for a very, you know, um, for a very long time. Um, you know, at middleweight he'll be by far the biggest guy. Uh, light middleweight, uh, at super middleweight it'll be interesting because um, because the guys currently there, you know, I think Cam Smith's moved up now, right? But David Benavides is still there, um, and obviously Kanuna is still there. But um, yeah, you're. Um, your Caleb Plant and all of that kind of guys, they're pretty tall, they're like six or three, they're big for the division. Um, but uh, they may be gone by the time Fedora gets there. Like, I think in the end, he'll be on. they'll almost definitely gone up to light heavyweight. And um, I don't suspect the next set of super middleweights are going to be the pack of giants that are there now. So, unless that does happen, then Fedora will be carrying that big height and length advantage into super into super middleweight even at like heavyweight like the guys currently you know your um Callum smith and david benavides and Caleb plant they're big at light heavyweight and fedora is much bigger than them so even at light uh, at super middleweight he'll be carrying that advantage if he ever goes up to light heavyweight he'll still be carrying that advantage he won't be too you know obviously he's long he's big for heavyweight like in terms of the dimension so if he can pack on the muscle and he's very skinny um, you know it might be that he only gets better because he's immovable he's hard to move now and he's hard to hurt now and he 
you know, there is a balance where eventually you move up beyond your right weight, right, obviously. But when you're this thin, I think he's got quite a long way to go before he's moving up to where the, what is, a, what is, what his opponents are more powerful and, you know, and all of that stuff is, um, it'll be a long while before that overbalances what he's gaining from putting on mass and he'll be gaining power, hopefully. He'll be gaining stamina, and he's already got shitloads of stamina. He'll be gaining, um, you know, recovery and um, the ability to take a punch. Because if you're underweight, you know, you, you, your recovery and your ability to take a punch is, is lesser. So all of that stuff, all that physical stuff will be, hopefully, you know, I can't say this for certain. He might be just some weird chap who um, who is his perfect weight is being really skinny. But I don't think so. Like, I think at least till super middleweight. Um, you know, I don't want to talk about him as, you know, I have a cruiser that's way, way in the future. Let's see how he is at middleweight. But um, he'll be carrying the advantage he still he really has, like this massive weight and reach, uh, this massive height and reach advantage. He'll be carrying them for a long time. And he, I think he will be gaining physical advantages that he's already really good at. So he's going to be very hard to deal with. Um, and yeah, so he's gone from this, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about him as a, as some, you know, he's not Hunter Nakatani in terms of skill. Um, Hunter Nakatani is the best fighter who boxed on this weekend. He might have been the best fighter, even if Golovkin was at his best. That's how high I rate Nakatani. I'm not putting Fedora on that level. Um, but the skill he's got combined with that huge size is going to be very hard to beat, even for Janibek, who I think is, you know, really good. Um, but Fedora is just going to be so tough to he's going to be tough to live with because he loves throwing he's um, he, he he loves the scrap and he's good at it and he's got really like I say he's got really good punch selection um, and really good yeah he ha- I have to say he's got good mechanics um, you know some people who listen to this and then watch him are going to be like what are you talking about because you look so damn awkward but if he's delivering he's delivering power he's delivering accurately and he's delivering it without having to put everything into the shots so he's got good mechanics. So his mechanics work to get the punches home where they need to be, where the power they need to be landing with. He's good. He's just a good fighter. And, you know, a few years ago, a few years ago, I was kind of one of the guys going, you know, this 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 guy from Dora, he's a spectacle. He's kind of going to have a ride and then he's going to fade away. And now he's just sort of risen up. And, um, yeah, he's a prospect to get, you know, prospect to get excited for. He's he's good. Um, and that, and it was by far the best fight of the week in terms of, in the back and forth and the action and at a high level um, so seek it out if you haven't seen it and um, and put Fedora on your list like would he be pound for pound I don't know um, I would have found it completely unlikely uh, you know even a year ago um, I can't say you know like I say Nakatani I think he's skill wise already there Fedora's not but he's also improving and He's better than a lot of prospects who get more shine because they're not awkward and goofy looking and and he doesn't, you know, he's confident but he's not cocky and arrogant and he's just, yeah, he's, I like Sebastian Fedora. I've become a fan. You know, I already enjoyed him before um, as a fighter but I've become a fan of his, like, from his fight really. And that is, you know, I wasn't, you know, it's, I started on a sad note and I'm ending on the happy note of him. Um, there's a new fighter that I just really enjoy watching and I really want to see him at real like genuine proven world level um, so I hope that he gets the winner of Castano versus Charlie he won't be the only one in for that belt because basically there's like a list of people who are 
fighting for interim because he won an interim here, like um, which basically just means he's um, he's the mandatory challenger. But there's going to be a whole slew of mandatory challengers because um, because everyone's sort of fighting for interim to like that. Charlo and Castano do the rematch, so you know it is what it is. There's going to be a uh, some complications in that division, but but it's going to be fun, and um, and Fandora will be right up there with everyone in it. Um, and this is a terrific division. Like I, you know, I've talked about this before. Me and Taylor have talked about this a lot, and a lot of the guys coming up in this division are are really good. Um, and yeah, like uh, if you'd asked me even a couple of months ago, I would not necessarily have put Fandora at the top of the prospects coming up in the division. But now I think I would put it pretty close, especially because. Um, you know, Hamza Shearer has had that disappointing performance against Bradley Skeet. Um, Andromov has had his issues. I wouldn't pick Andromov to, to beat Fedora right now. You know, I just wouldn't. No, I wouldn't pick Shiraz to beat me that way. I think Shiraz is. Andromov has a higher ceiling, but um, Shiraz's fixes are easier, and I hope he makes them. Um, Shiraz has kind of same advantages as Pandora. I'm going to talk about that too much now. I'll talk about those guys when they fight again. But um, but yeah, basically, it's a really good division. Pandora's a really good addition to it. Um, for however long he stays there. Enjoy the fight. Um, coming up this weekend, there's two cards. One like, probably significant one in America was er- Errol Spence versus Jordanus Yukas. Um, that, that's a really deep card. That's a lot to talk about on there. And I hope I can get a... I should be able to get a preview out. And I can... I've got shit to do this week, so I can't 100% promise it, but um, but I also have some time, um, so so I should be able to get one out. Um, And then there's a British card, um, Conor Ben versus Chris Van Heerden, Um, obviously um, Eddie Hearn's hyping this up, it's it's nothing bigger than what he's already been facing. There's a good fight on the undercard, where Chris Billy-Smith is fighting Tommy McCarthy, um, and then there's a is a Barrett's challenge for a European title. That could be interesting. Like I, I'm not skeptical about ceiling, but um, because of that, him chi- um, challenging um, Farouk Kubinov for a European title is interest. You know, it's interesting. And then after that, there's just a bunch of guys um, fighting. You know, your TBA specials um, to to show themselves on the big card. So that it'll be fun. Um, obviously, the American card is much more significant. Um, and yeah, like. I'll I'll be working to put a preview out. Um, hopefully Thursday or Friday. Um, well, it has to be out by. Well, I hope to get it out Friday because the fights are on Saturday, so it may be Saturday morning. Um, you know, other than that, I uh, I should plug our Discord because well, I should plug our Patreon, um, where uh, with which you get ex- exclusive access to um, you know bits of um, articles and. Um, an exclusive podcast from our team and you also get exclusive access to the discord which is quite mad but a lot of fun um so you know worth it so look up the you know the fight side patreon and other than that i'll see you next week um you know for those who are practicing easter and it happens to be this weekend uh, happy easter and uh see you next time